We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how was your not-Comic-Con week? My not-Comic-Con week was spent mostly doing the same things that I've been doing lately for the last two months, so uh, it was not Comic-Con-y, I guess. How was your Comic-Con-y week? It was awesome, and we will talk about that quite a bit. We're going to skip the DVD shelf and the season spotlight and instead focus a bit on our in our final segment about Comic-Con and the TV coverage, uh, the panels and things that I was able to, to attend, and the whole sort of Comic-Con experience. Uh, I got a chance to talk with Todd Vanderwer for the AV Club for a few minutes, so we'll have that in that section as well. And uh, I got to talk with a bunch of you guys, too. So we'll, we'll just kind of go through all of the Comic-Con-iness for one more time before our next year at the, at the end of the show. Before then, we got some comments and tweets and things from you guys. Thank you very much. First of all, uh, most of the most of the tweeting for me, at least this past week, has been very Comic-Con related, seeing as we did, I didn't actually get the podcast out last week until after I was in San Diego. So it's pretty much been all Comic-Con for me. But uh, the one thing I wanted to specifically mention, uh, <laughs> Beth is taking credit for Bear Mercury composing the shield music seeing as she did wish me the weekend before more bear mercury on television and then you know so thank you beth i appreciate you working your magic on that and uh also should we should we talk any emmys uh do you want to i don't know i mean there were a few nice surprises and a few predictable disappointments mm -hmm. i i kind of got the same feeling after the nominations came out of it didn't all suck but I kind of feel like I need to start ignoring them the same way I, I systematically ignore the Oscars now. Yeah, there was, uh, there was a lot of talk about it, of course, on and, and Twitter in the morning of. There were many people, of course, in line at Comic-Con looking for things to do. So they were checking and talk, talking about the, the nominations as, as they were announced. For, for me, obviously, there's we've talked about it before. There's so much amazing television this year. And over the, if you, especially if you include the fall season with that, like the... The, the shows that are eligible for the Emmys this year. Because that also, of course, includes like Louis's most recent season and a lot more that we wasn't even contention when we were making our 2013 list so far, that is. So, so there's a lot of really great people. There's no possible way for them all to get nominated. I don't really get very annoyed by by people being excluded from nominations. It just seems you know that's going to happen. Usually that's not too bothersome. It's I get more annoyed when shows or or uh people i feel like don't deserve a nomination do get nominated that's more frustrating to me yeah well you know oh down abby i oh, do down. feel like <laughs> i do feel like uh especially with the wide variety of options in excellence available 
They either need to nominate more people and things in each category, or they need to put in a system where maybe not for best, maybe not for the series categories, but for the actors and actresses. Once you've won, you're out. No, you've won no, you can't possibly do that. That's just Why ridiculous. Not? No, no, I think it's I think it's an excellent idea. Oh yeah, so so Brian Cranston is allowed one Emmy for Breaking Bad. He can get another Emmy for something else. No, disagree. And see, uh, clearly, it's a contentious issue. Well, I don't know. I I I mean, do you really need five Emmys for the same series? If it's the best show five years in a row, yeah. Why if not? The, no, no. If it's the best, okay, I, again, for series TV, I get it, but I don't think there's ever a, like, wouldn't it, you know, I just feel like for people like Michael Cudlitz or, you know, other people who are only, who are never going to get that shot again, probably, mm-hmm. I think it would have been, I would have much rather have seated one of the veterans, you know, their slot to someone like him. Yeah, except the Cudlitz wouldn't have been nominated anyways. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. That's I don't think it solves the problem though. Is is what I'm saying. But we'll I'm sure continue to discuss this in the in the weeks uh, leading up to the Emmy nominations. I also wanted to mention we got a comment at the website from Spiral who wants to know why do we who said you know they enjoy the podcast. Why do we take a break in the podcast? Why don't you know they understand that we might need to get some water? Why don't we just pause the recording and start back up without having an interruption in the flow and. Uh, spiral we, almost nothing we do about this podcast is uh is to make our lives easier uh <laughs> and uh thank you very much for your kind words i'm glad you like the show i'm glad you listen that's because i just kind of assume you guys need a break from our from our voices yeah i mean i know i do i honestly Certainly. i don't i don't <laughs> talk during the week like this is the only time during the week that i talk i don't even like the sound of my own voice so yeah no, I don't know if I could handle just an hour and a half of nonstop. You know, I, I, you know, when I'm listening to podcasts, I like there to be some structure. So that's why we do it. Um, so there, we we did think it out, and that's probably not going to change in the near future. But I appreciate that you you like skip the music already. I want to hear us talk. So what you can do if that's how you feel is listen to the M4A version because I always put the chapter breaks after the music. So if you just skip to the next chapter, you won't have to listen to the music, and you can. You know, have your own version of the podcast where we, there isn't any music. So maybe that's a good solution. Perhaps. Also, I wanted to mention we got another email from Carl who appreciated that we read his last email. He was responding to the, the question of the week. So um, some TV settings he thought of that have not happened yet, to his knowledge. Inside the Earth's Core, a mashup of The Love Boat and Fantasy Island. Behind the World of Infomercials, Space Station, there are many on Space Stations, Nursing Home, Nursing Home on a Space Station, Water Delivery Guy, and you follow them to their different exotic offices, and Law School Dropouts Who Become Water Delivery Guys. I, I think those are pretty great. And then he also he had a few uh, more fleshed out pitches. So these are his pitches for the year. A working title, Google this bitch. And it's a internet startup company, and we're going to follow the lives and loves of the people who help us look things up. It's a dramedy, and it's a sort of a Monty Python meets L.A. Law. Wow. All right. Well, is that the only pitch? Oh, no. There's a few more. Okay. We, next All we right. have working title is Mermaids. It's set in small town USA. Instead of following one character who is a fish out of water, literally all the characters are fish out of water. And there's one local person. <laughs> this is a quirky kind of feel-good comedy, and yeah, you know, sort of, sort of like the opposite of Northern Exposure, but with fins and seashell underwear. 
as uh, part of the costuming. And then the final one, we have Mimes in Mines, which is set in an undisclosed coal mine. Everything is going to take place in pitch dark with no vocals, only subtitles. And you, we should think this is a very hardcore drama, but on a low budget, so it's a little more gritty. And you should, you know, think of other things to think of. It's this is kind of uh, like when your TV is turned off. So, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I, I actually like the I like the nursing home idea from the from the locations. Unfortunately, no, I don't I don't feel like that plays very well to the eighteen to forty nines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might be an issue for I don't know every network. And channel ever well but there's you know it's a nursing home so obviously some of the people who live there are going to be visited by their sexy teen family members yeah well not to mention the sexy teen nurses well we'll get to sexy teen uh situations as we get into our pilot talk at comic-con uh yeah, thank you so much for these carl i thought they were hilarious uh it was a lot of fun and uh yeah anybody else who wants to send us your pitches the televerse at gmail.com uh, also, Carl, your your iTunes review did go through this time, so thank you very much. And anybody else who would like to uh, review us, we do have an M4A and an MP3 feed in iTunes. It does help uh, the show if you leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Um, we always do appreciate that feedback. And yes, occasionally iTunes eats the reviews. It I went and checked through, and it ate one of the iTunes UK reviews that had been there <laughs> last week. I don't know who I pissed off at iTunes, but anyways... Before we go to our week in TV, there there are a few things we should mention. Um, apparently, on this very cheery note, 2013 is the year where everything dies. Um, apparently, that's a cool thing. It's happening because we lost another uh, another TV star. We didn't mention last week because of when we recorded the the passing of Corey Monteith. And then today, as we record, we you know we found out about Dennis Farina passing away. Way too many awesome people are are leaving us way too way too soon. Don't do drugs or get blood clots, people. Yes, that's that's clearly the message here. Or or, um, or throat cancer. Or throat cancer, or live too long, basically. Live way too long. Just keep living. That you know, it, it's been uh, yeah. That was I got out off the plane today, coming back from San Diego, and it was like. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> it's a wonderful way to to start my end to Comic-Con. Obviously, we haven't done uh we haven't done the Law and Order or any of Dennis Farina's other television work on the DVD shelf. I'm sure at some point that will come up. I look forward to it. I very much respected his work as a uh, as an actor and I I very desperately need to watch Police Story because it looks awesome. Yeah, it certainly. There's a, so many options if if you want to pay tribute to Dennis Farina this week. Um, and of course, Corey Monteith was very much his performance on Glee was the heart of that show for so long and remained such, you know, in the, in this most recent season from all accounts. I don't know how the show is going to handle that. Apparently, they've pushed back the premiere somewhat to kind of respond to that. And I uh, do not envy the cast and and the crew and the writers. I don't envy the writers having to figure it out. And I do not envy the cast having to act out However, they respond either pretend that everything's okay or try to process that emotion on well, on on film or on tape. Ryan Murphy said that they're going to do sort of an upbeat tribute, which yeah, that doesn't sound easy to do. Yeah, but you know, hopefully, you know, Glee can be a very joyful show. So hopefully, that will be a really helpful 
um, uh, opportunity for the viewers and also the creative people behind Glee to, to really process the loss and try to, 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 to move on. The other, on a less personal note, obviously, but still, as TV fans, we care about this. Bunheads was officially canceled this week. We held out hope for so long. I will be re- renaming our season spotlight a DVD shelf segment for that, as I was hoping to not have to do. Man. Yeah, that sucked. And you know what? Like, it's one thing to cancel a show. It's another thing to wait six months to do it or however long it's been. Yeah, and to cancel other things and be like, but maybe Bonnets will stay. But yeah. apparently the contracts for the, the leads expired at the end of the month, so a decision was going to happen pretty much this week. Oh, well. Yeah. And it, it just seems like they waited until the last possible minute to make an announcement. Well, it's like they waited to, to find out that Bunhead somehow didn't get nominated for Best Choreography even once for the Emmys. And then while they were down, they, you know, it was like axed them. Yeah. Well, and I uh, and I was I was reading about that supposedly ABC Family tried to figure out ways to do the show cheaper so that they could keep it. How? How? What what were they spending their money on? Uh, the dancing, maybe. Like, can the we outfits? get the dancing out of the dancing show? Yeah. Can, can they can they just dance around nude? We already have our leads are pretty much teenagers, uh, so they're they're clearly not stars. They don't need the money, and uh, it's a passion project for the other people involved. But let's find. Oh man, at least at least it, it went out, if not in a very uh, very happy way not a very conclusive way at least it went out really strong you know that final scene i will remember that final scene of bunheads for a very long time yeah so at least there's that (sighs) oh well try again later amy sherman paladino and sutton foster and sutton foster and all the bunheads and all the bunheads love all the bunheads hopefully I, i look forward to seeing more of them on my on my television moving forward and i would like to see the choreographer from bunheads pop up and getting some work on So You Think You Can Dance. It's just one of those situations where you just want to see all those people again in this doing something very slightly different to try to con their way. Let's get the gang back together. Exactly. It's never going to happen, but it no. would be awesome. It would be awesome. Well, on that note, let's uh, let, let's take a break and uh, come back with our week in comedy. Be myself a little. Sweetie, please relax. I really appreciate this. I'm only doing it because it's against guild regulations to torture somebody with an unattended injury. Yeah, not buying it. I know you're the softie here. Not my first time at the rodeo. Rodeo's over, baldy. You hogtied. I'm just waiting for my husband to pick out a barbecue sauce to spread on you. Ow! Yeah, dislocated. Figured. <sighs> I know you clowns aren't going to do anything. You never do. Yeah, he may not be very good at it, but he loves it. And I love him. So you better play along. How about you pop my hip back in place and I send you a little tax-free donation? You are going to cry in agony if my husband tickles you. You will plead for your life if he gives you a back rub. You will try to escape just so he can catch you. Why would I do that? Because if you don't, I will straight up just slit your throat. (laughs) No, no, you wouldn't do that. Don't underestimate a woman in love, Dr. Venture. So, you allergic to epinephrine? No, I'm not allergic to any anesthetics. And I'm not allergic to hand lotion, if you, uh, want to give me a happy ending. Nah. Yeah! Don't start without me! 
This week in comedy, we had the Venture Brothers finale. We had the premiere of, of Animation Domination High Def, or ADHD, on Fox with Axe Cop and High School USA. We also had Wilfred. We also had the premiere of Whose Line Is It Anyway? I, I don't feel like I, we can call that a pilot. This is the third iteration of that show. No, it, it, there, I believe they're considering it season nine. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure. So what stands out for the comedy? For you this week well i mean venture brothers can't help but stand out considering we got eight episodes this year and i guess we're done with venture brothers for another year and a half or so which uh, that hurts uh but the uh, finale was called the devil's grip and i thought it was pretty good not the best episode of the season and very low-key for a finale which makes sense because apparently it's not actually the finale which again uh, I, w- I was going to talk about this in the Comic-Con section, because, of course, I went to the Venture Brothers panel, but this seems like a better place for it. At the Comic-Con panel, the creators talked about how they planned to do, like, this really epic finale, and they were looking at their episode order, and they just kind of, they're like, wait, we're, we're, out, of ep- we're out of episodes, because... We have, well, we need two for the premiere, and we need you know all these different things. So they're like, uh, okay, apparently the finale for this year is going to be the premiere of next year. So it's well next season. Next whenever season. that actually happens, they're already writing. You know, they're already writing the next season. So that that's a good thing, dude. You've watched this show, right? You know how elaborate these scripts are. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll talk more about the Venture Brother panel uh, in the Comic Con section. But uh, I was thinking of you. I was sitting there going like, Simon would love this right now because it was it was uh, the spirit of the show was in the panel. But yeah, I would agree this was a strong finale. It was it was very odd. I liked the the bit of catharsis we had with with uh, Hank and Dean that felt very finale-ish to me. Yes. And um yeah, there were parts of it, you know, we kind of uh, various arcs came kind of full circle. We had 21 back with the monarch. We we had the monarch's evil plan revealed, which was kind of amazing. I thought it was a lot of fun. Not the highlight of the year, which might still be Spanakopita. Or that premiere, how, what color is your jumpsuit? But it's been a clean damn suit. good... What, what color is your clean suit? Thank you. But it's it has been a, a, a damn good season of Venture Brothers. Well, and you you can use some of that, I'm sure, extensive downtime down to catch up on what you missed. But the uh, I would say that when you talk about the, uh, the Monarch and Doc Venture stuff, how sincere did you think that plan was? Because I'm just going to assume it was complete bullshit. <laughs> His evil, his evil scheme. I have no idea, but I just thought it was hilarious. The, the 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 turnaround of that at the end, even if it's just something he thought of in that moment, I don't care because I was laughing. Just just the animation of it, the the high angle, you know, zoom close up of his face and just the the contort the way that the that's one of the one fun things about animation that how the face can be contorted, you know, to to achieve a certain stylistic effect in a way that you can't do with people. Um, so just. Just the animation style of that scene, as well as the voice performances, vocal performances. It was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I also continue to really enjoy the dynamic between the monarch and Dr. Mrs. the Monarch. Yeah. Oh, so many great Dr. Mrs. the Monarch costumes at Comic-Con. Many different outfits. Uh, pretty much everybody I saw in one of those costumes was rocking it, looking very good. Um, yeah, no, just a lot of, lot of fun with this finale. I'm going to miss Venture Brothers, certainly. Uh, shall we talk about the Animation Domination premieres? Sure. Uh, so Axe Cop, which was frankly, I mean, do we need to summarize Axe Cop? It's Nick Offerman as Axe Cop. Yep. Do we need to say anything else? That's all you need. I really think, I honestly think that's all you need. And 
I, I don't think I laughed out loud, but I, I certainly enjoyed this. And I wonder if you didn't know, if one didn't know the the backstory of X-Cop, how it came to be, if it would be as successful for people or if they would be as willing to go along with it. Um, but just knowing that this was originally created by a five-year-old and a 28-year-old kind of working together. I, I love the, uh, just the, the childlike element of it. That really, that really works for me. And if they had anybody but Nick Offerman voicing Axe Cop, I don't know that the show would have worked. Yeah, he's pretty ideal. And the rest of the voice cast is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like I, I only recognized a handful of them, but when, when they come up at the end and I'm like, Tyler, the creator, <laughs> holy crap. Uh, so good for them on that. And, who would have guessed that the secret star of the ADHD lineup would be Vincent Carthizer? Yep. Who's in both of these shows <laughs> and as the lead in one of them. So go figure. Also, he was he I did not recognize his voice at all on High School USA. He was Morty, wasn't he? Or the he was he's the main kid. Yeah, I almost recognized. It. I was like, I, I'm so close to identifying this voice. And yeah, it was Carthizer. Yeah, if you listen really closely, you can hear some of his ticks. But he's really he's doing quite a high register. So I didn't I didn't notice. Um, yeah, Axe Cop, I don't think would work if you, but I, I was, I was amazed they had the restraint to not mention the five-year-old thing in the opening, but I guess they assume at this point that most people know about it. Well, I thought there was a nice shout out to that in the credits because there's a kid who like points and goes, you're Axe Cop or something like that. A little, a little kid in the first, that's like the first shot of the credits. And so I thought that was a cute little nod to that if you're aware. Um, but yeah, I think that was, I think that's smart. I think it needs to be able to you know, sort of stand on its own, whether or not it's able, I I don't think I can divorce in my mind that knowledge and sort of assess it from a, a, you know, a fresh perspective, but I did, I enjoyed it. I not enough to tune back in though. It for me doesn't compare to the, to the stronger elements of the, uh, of the adult swim lineup. And with, with children's hospital and NTSF coming back this week, I'm certainly going to be tuning in for those every week. I don't think I'll come back for X cop. Yeah, if if it's on, I mean, I'll certainly, it's 10 minutes of my time or 15 minutes of my time, sure. But yeah, it's it's a diversion. Uh, I I feel kind of the same way about High School USA, although I will admit the first the first half was really shaky, and I was I was thinking it would be a bit of a disaster actually, and I it did actually get some solid belly laughs out of me in the last couple of minutes, particularly the um, the reveal that the the band is about to play some dubstep. Uh, was was delightfully unexpected as well as the uh, the line about the sweet release of death <laughs> uh, but yeah I, it, it felt a lot to me actually like animated community except it was funny so boom yeah high school usa wasn't as successful to, to me i like the visual style of it but i i wasn't laughing and I, this is when i feel like either you're gonna jump on board and it's gonna work for you or, or it's kind of not i don't think the show is gonna change in a substantial way i don't predict that for this one it seems like they know what they want to do um and if i do hear that it's changed and gotten a lot better i will check back in but i I think this one isn't quite for me it doesn't it doesn't have that same extra crazy element that axe cop does because it's Mm -hmm. well i'll be curious to see if because the very last moments of the episode kind of harken back to dino stamatopoulos's other series moral oral Mm -hmm. which had like a serious element of darkness and social commentary and i'd be, I'll be if, if there was a little bit more of that i think i'd be quite a bit happier with the show and maybe he will delve it delve into that more so it's it's really hard to say i mean these pilots are so short hmm. and they've got a, they've, they've got actually a fair amount of work to do in terms of establishing tone and character etc although axe cop is obviously way more random <laughs> uh, so you know it, it's a heavy burden for a for, for a short 
show like that. So I mean, I mean, I was reasonably amused by both shows. I, I'm I'm just glad that that other networks are getting into the whole micro length show thing. I think it's great to see networks, exper- especially broadcast networks, experimenting at all. Mm-hmm. I, I I would agree, and it, f- it feels like a perfect fit for Fox. It feels like a a good fit for if you're going to try to do some Saturday programming, you know, late night programming. Why not try something like that? Any thoughts on Wilfred? I actually liked Wilfred this week. I know that that may not be a popular opinion today, but I I actually did like the um, the Wil- Wilfred's children's stories gags. Uh, so, some no, they weren't all great, but some of them landed for me. Uh, although I couldn't help but all, but but think of Louis C.K.'s rant about Clifford the Big Red Dog, uh, which kind of got there first. And I have to say, as much as uh, you probably weren't a huge fan of them going to the Ryan Jenna, well, again, I actually thought the last moments of that were were nicely executed. Yeah, I think, of course, you, you know me. Uh, you, you very accurately predicted my issue with this episode. And it's actually been an issue with the season as a whole. I haven't been laughing this season at at Wilfred like I, I like like I did last year or the season before last year it was it made my I think it made my top 10 of the year at the end of the year I think it was like slid into that like number 10 spot for me I really enjoyed last season this season I feel like they're still trying to make the 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 dog jokes or the same you know humor for the most part it's not landing for me and there seems to be a much uh, they seem more reliant on on drug-based humor and on Wilfred's sexual prowess-based humor, which hey, can be very funny, but I just it's not it's not working for me as well as it did last year. And I think this episode, you know, while I I I wasn't really laughing that much, and much like my frustration with Mad Men, it feels very repetitive with going back once again, like you said, to the that Jenna Ryan well and. The end of the episode, I, I thought, worked very well, was was nice and, and dark and really was saying something. And if they're going to take that on, a, a, you know, take the character on a journey, if they're going to exp- explore that, that's interesting. If they're going to just keep doing the same thing, I, I'm not interested. It was so refreshing last year to see something different with Ryan and his, his you know, relationships and everything. But if they're just going to, and I know it can be very realistic. I understand that that is, but the thing is, I'm not watching a show about every and you know the the normal daily thing. If, if it's on TV, it's supposed to be because it's interesting, or it's just so heartbreakingly true you have to watch it, you know, or so so realistic that it, it forces your attention. This is trying to kind of do both. I feel and right now, and it's just not working for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it it comes down to like I I don't feel like the flights of fancy are as fanciful it's fanciful i mean we we haven't uh i think it's partly down to the fact that we haven't had uh just the 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 surreal elements haven't been in play in the same way like last year we went on some really trippy shit that that spirit walk was fantastic the spirit walk i mean the whole thing with dwight yoakam Mm -hmm. which was amazing like we haven't had anything like that and i I, and i think that's been a real uh, a real problem and I'm, i'm hoping that the backstretch of the season sort of rectifies that with uh, just just a little bit more insanity, a little bit less. I mean, I I hope that this episode was a sign of them putting the Ryan Jenna thing to bed for a while. I kind of feel feel like they have to because anything else would just be pointless. Yeah. Of course, this show is elaborately pointless, so who knows? Um, and yeah, and more toying with the mythology, more um, more of the just zagging when you think it's going to zig, uh, mm-hmm. which there hasn't been a whole lot of this season. 
Yeah, and I, who knows if it's because of the showrunner change, and who knows if it's just having to, wanting to explore a different direction from the creator and and the cast and and other elements in the writers' room and stuff as well. But yeah, I, I've we haven't talked about Wilf- Wilfred every week on the podcast because we haven't necessarily had things to say. And that was all never the case last year. So fingers crossed the second half of the season is more, you know, something we want to talk about. Yeah. It's 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 never good when a show kind of dips below the quality you'd, you'd like. Yeah. But uh, on that note, let's talk about the Whose Lines Did Anyway premiere because I laughed more at the first game, I think, that I did at anything this week that wasn't Venture Brothers. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the show. I watched the British show when it... When we got cable, when I was like in high school, I would watch Comedy Central, and they 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 aired the British version there. I watched the Drew Carey version, and I'm happy to say it's just as entertaining so far. In this new version, I really wish they would ditch the celebrity thing. Lauren, Lauren Cohen seems actually really great. I've listened to her in some interviews and stuff, and she seems like a really cool person and really funny. and And she was clearly very game <laughs> based on this, but you know the. Even that, with that sort of misstep, I think it's just, I, I really enjoy watching these people who are so good at what they do. They are some of the best in the world at what they do, and it's great to watch them do it. Yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, all that is true. I also watched a ton of it in high school and later. Uh, it was just such a, I can't think of another show that was just more, it was rarely belly laughs for me, but it was always amusing and almost never boring, at least not for more than a stretch of I don't know, 45 seconds. I think it just, it's so, it's kind of a can't fail with these guys for mm-hmm. very long. And, and I think that that's partially because even the failure is good. Like, you know, these, these guys are, are so on point so much of the time that when they inevitably flub or when they, or, or, or especially sometimes when they flub, like the, I don't know if you saw the animal porn mm-hmm. thing from, from a few years back, but that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm actually I'm I'm hoping for some epic flubs at some point over the course of the season. And and hey, props to the CW for bringing the old guard back because they are so incredibly not on brand. No, not at all. And and perhaps that's why they they f- feel the need to bring in some some more CW friendly celebrities. But I th- yeah, there are several things they did right the CW that is in this. And the big one is bringing back Colin Mockery, Ryan Stiles and Wayne Brady. Then they'll have a, a, a rotating fourth chair, but bringing them back was, I think essential if you're going to make this work and then they can sort of audition out new people. If they you know, if the there, if, if they decide they want to bring in somebody new on a more permanent basis, then they can use that fourth chair to try people out. Uh, but also I think Aisha Tyler is an excellent choice for host. I I hate her hair on this. <laughs> I have to say, I just I hate those bangs. She's such a beautiful woman. It's it's distracting me how her hair is distracting me. But really, she's just she's. I think she's a really hilarious comedian in her own right. I hope to see her get in there with with the guys somewhat. But she also just is so fun and commanding and and you know on top of things uh, at the desk. I think she does a really good job in that role. Well, and it's, and it's nice to have a woman there in that chair, sort of bringing yeah. a different energy to what's. Gi- generally been just a total boys club slash sausage party yes and it's also kind of nice to not see because sometimes it felt like they they felt like they needed to bring in a female comedian to be the woman 
you know? Right, yeah. Because they need one. They didn't really have necessarily somebody who was the best fit with the group that didn't have as, as good of a rapport, but they, they needed to have a woman, and so they would bring somebody in. And that doesn't feel like the case here. It feels very much, she feels very, you know, in, in control and very comfortable in her role as host. Obviously, this is something she's done before. She has plenty of experience hosting. Um, and yeah, I, I really like this show. I look forward to to laughing along with scenes from a hat and... And I, I hope they won't overuse the musical stylings of Wayne Brady. But, you know, all of all of those different games that I have enjoyed for years. It's it's wonderful to have the show back. And it did well in the ratings. Oh, did it? That's yes. excellent. Yes. Very pleasant surprise. Um, so what wins your week in TV? Ooh, well, I, I got since I'm not going to get to do it for another seven years, I guess I'll give it to Venture Brothers just by default. Yeah, myself as well. And I, I have a feeling it'll be whose line next week but this week certainly gotta give gotta give some love to venture brothers we will miss you until 20 hopefully hopefully 14 <laughs> hopefully <laughs> yeah, or 15 until next year next season gentlemen. i feel like they they might deign to give us a special maybe next halloween and then we'll get the proper season the next year We'll, we'll see. Uh, but for now, let's take a break, listen to some music. Spiral, feel free to fast forward to the next chapter. And we will be back with our week in drama. Thank you for waiting. Not a problem. But I want you to know, every minute you waste not fast-tracking me onto this fuckfanger police force is a minute wasted where I'm not out there fucking some fangers up. Sir, the LABTF does not exist to fuck anyone up. Bullshit. It exists to keep those fangers down where they belong. How about I just go through the questionnaire? Let's do this. All right. R.E. Vampires, what basic general knowledge do you have of their various characteristics, abilities, weaknesses, etc.? All of them. Next question. Mr. Stackhouse, that wasn't really an answer. Yes, it was. All of them. One. Characteristics. Pale, cold, no breath, come in all shapes and sizes. Two, abilities, strong, sonic hearing, fast, some of them can even fly. Three, weaknesses, silver, UV light, fire, wood to the heart, stake or bullet, it don't matter. Oh, and, uh, beheadenism, just cutting their head right off by the throat. Well, I'll be. Yeah, just slicing that motherfucker across his or her neck is a pretty strong weakness, I think. Have you killed many vampires? Of course. And how many would you say you've killed? Well, this week. You know, I think I'm just going to go get my supervisor right now. Right on. Racist fucks. This week in drama, we had The Bridge, Kalaka? Kalaka? I don't know. I don't know how it's pronounced. Way to go, gringo. Yep, I am. I am very much the gringa. Um, we also had. Uh, we also had True Blood. Don't you feel me? The newsroom. The Genoa tip. There was an episode of The Killing. Which do you know the title of that one, sir? Uh, I want to say it was called Reckoning. Okay. Before we get to those, though, I want to start by saying I finished Orange Is the New Black on the plane. On my way back, I was very determined to to see what all of this scuttlebutt was over the end of you know the last arc. There was some discussion over the past week uh, with you and with Mo Ryan and with some other people about how it took a turn. 
And obviously, we're I'm going to keep this spoiler free. We'll talk a little bit about it, and we'll do a, a full season spotlight coming up here in the next few weeks. But uh, I I do got to chime in, right? I feel you want. I know you said you want to talk about it. Yeah. The I was expecting more of a tonal shift, and I didn't feel like there was one really. But the 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 progression of the characters, I would say, has been very interesting, and. I feel like it's just really those last that last episode where things get less comedic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a few sequences in those last episodes that are just fantastic. And although it's interesting to see that the the show kind of it doesn't always progress the way you expect it to. I mean, the, there's a very key sequence at the end of episode 11 involving a radio program, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the most agonizing sequences, I think, to watch all year. At least it was for me. I was... <laughs> but but the, the following episode doesn't have the sort of fallout from that that you expect, uh, but that ends up being sort of delayed and happening in a different way. So I th there's lots of smart bits of plotting that I that I was uh, really taken by. Yeah, that that seems about. I would agree with that. And um, yeah, there's some some of the various things come to a head in a way that I was expecting, and others in a way that maybe I wasn't. But what I will what I will say is that um, the whole season, I think it maintains its its quality throughout. We we talked about last week and through to the. I mean, I can't wait to see it uh, to to see season two. And I really feel like it's with a little bit. Yeah, obviously, it's been like a week. What to maybe two since it came out. But I feel like with just that little bit of extra time, it's already growing in my estimation. And I think it's almost a lock for my top ten of the year at the end of the year at this point. If only because it's just so wonderful to see this kind of story being told or these kinds of stories with these kinds of characters and they're nowhere else on television and they're no, they're not even in film uh, or really anything else that I've seen. So if, if there's, if there's a storytelling like orange is a new black out there that I'm missing, please let me know because it's just so wonderfully refreshing to see women of all ages, of all ethnicities, of all socioeconomic statuses of uh, everywhere on the Kinsey spectrum you know, being of all body types, of all body types, exactly, and 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 also there's there's definitely a strong male characters in there as well. So to see all these different types of stories being told, all these people who are so underserved everywhere else in television, it's just, and and it see to see it done so well, it's just I'm over the moon about Orange Is the New Black. Right. Well, I mean, the, all that stuff is well and good, but I don't think it would mean anything if the show wasn't fun to watch mm -hmm. and compelling every week. And I think that I do think there's a a shift about midway through like episode six or seven where it becomes like it becomes less and less Piper's story. And then near the end, it does kind of rally around her again. But by then, she's sort of a different character. Um, and I, I, I would I would love to read a, a comparison, someone to do like a comparative study between. Uh, Piper Chapman and Nancy Botwin, who's, of course, Jenji Cohen's other protagonist, because they're both, I guess, female antiheroes, except I feel like we were always supposed to like Nancy, and I'm not sure if the show cares or not whether we like Piper, and that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's great, and and regardless of if I like her, I still don't know exactly how I feel about that. I am fascinated 
by that character now in a way that I really wasn't at the beginning of the show. I think the performance has been fantastic and just the way that the show is happy to have such completely different opinions about this character and to have them all feel completely valid. Yes, although although by the end, I don't want to get spoilery, but pretty much everyone just hates her by the end, <laughs> <laughs> which is an interesting place to put your protagonist. Certainly, certainly. Uh, anything else spoiler free that you would like to mention before we move on? Uh, well, I'm sure there's I'm sure already lots of praise has been lavished on many parts of the cast, but I really love Pablo Schreiber in this. And uh, I mean, obviously, it, it it seems perverse to single out a dude in in a in a cast like this, but I just think that the way they flesh out porn stash <laughs> near the end. Like it's, it doesn't redeem his character at all, but it does make him more interesting and more fun to watch. And it's, it's a, again, it's another move plot character wise that I can't think of any other show that would think to do that. Yeah. And certainly that would pull it off. Yeah, certainly. Definitely. Well, let's move on to this week in television. And uh, why don't you kick things off with The Killing and True Blood? Because I didn't have time for one of those and wasn't interested in the other. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, I didn't talk about The Killing last week, I don't think, because I hadn't seen last week's episode. And it's funny because back to back, we kind of get the best and worst of The Killing. Last week was, I didn't think that was a good episode at all. I know that people were really invested in the sort of quasi-tense hostage sequence that took up the first half. I didn't care. I, I know they're not going to kill off Murray Enos. Like, come on. Um, and then other stuff happened in that episode that was extremely contrived, ending with, of course, the death of everyone's favorite character, which, uh, well, everyone's second favorite character, which uh, I wasn't terribly pleased with. But I will say that the episode that aired this week, uh, Reckoning, was uh, a lot more successful, probably because it relied a lot more on Joel Kinnaman, who can do no wrong in my eyes. And, uh, I mean, it, it seems from here to be pretty clear where they're going with, with the suspect. And I, I I just feel like the show would be at least 75% better if they weren't relying on this ambling from suspect to suspect structure. Because it it just it necessitates all these dumb twists and things that they don't need when they could get by so much more top of the lake style on just atmosphere and performance. And they just it's clearly they're not set on doing that. And I think everyone would enjoy the show well. Maybe not everyone would enjoy the show more, but I certainly would. So it's still worth watching for the cast and the mood and um, and for a few great scenes here and there. And obviously for Kinnaman and Enos, especially when they're together. But yeah, it's the the, fr the frustrations that people expressed in previous seasons are sort of starting to come up, although nothing as ridiculous as the plot twists that I was reading about, especially in, in the first two seasons. So I guess that's good. But yeah, you're not you're not missing a whole lot, but you're missing a little. Okay, okay. And uh, True Blood. Ah, uh, True Blood. So they're still trying. Can I? Am I allowed to spoil things for you? Yeah, you, you, you feel free. And I will mention I didn't get to see the True Blood panel, but apparently the the show the new the current showrunner I guess expressed that by the end of the season his goal was to streamline everything and get it much more tightly focused on the characters and the story of what True Blood is supposed to be and to get away from the distractions. Is that something that you're seeing in this episode? Yes. Uh, and I'm not sure, I, I, is his influence here by now? Or like, I'm still confused about I, that. I don't, I still don't know when it took over. But uh, I know that he's been involved in the show from the very beginning. So theoretically, he should have a good handle on what the part what the center of the what the core of the show should be 
Right. Well, th- they threaten to kill three characters off this weekend. They only do it to two of them. Uh, they get rid of Terry, and uh, they get rid of... And, and I was actually upset about this. The governor bites it, which I was not expecting, uh, and frankly was a little bit upset about because I didn't feel like... Um, I didn't feel like they'd milked Arliss Howard for all he was worth, so I don't know. Maybe they'll find a way to bring him back, but I, I gather that people don't generally come back from decapitations on this show. Yeah, not usually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they also threatened to kill off Nora, but apparently they're not going to do that, or at least they didn't do it this week, so... If they didn't do it this week, I assume it's not going to happen because it was the week of killing people. Uh, so there was definitely some streamlining. I'm not really sure what they're going to give Carrie Preston to do after this, but maybe she'll have to leave as well, which would be fine because then she can do what the Good Wife spinoff we've always wanted her to do. Well, maybe she'll uh, take the kids and move out of this crazy town because, I mean, come on. Yeah, there should really just be half the characters being like, you know, we can live anywhere, right? Yeah, I can get a job as a waitress in many other crappy bars. Yeah. Uh, they, I, I don't know. There were a few good scenes. Everything to do with uh, Ryan Quanton and Anna Camp continues to be just a blast to watch. I think she's been a really smart addition. I assume she's going to get a lot more due since the governor bit it, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was still not great. Uh, and especially the stuff with Sookie and Warlow is just awful. Just, oh, so bad. And, I mean, they they, they kind of threaten that they're going somewhere with that at the end. I don't believe them. So, yeah, that, it, it's kind of sad that at this point, Anna Paquin's getting the least interesting stuff to do on the entire show, which is saying something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that uh, sounds interesting. Should I? So I should watch this episode, or I should just skip to next week? Uh, up to you. I think a highlight reel from this week would do you just fine. Okay. Okay. I'll see what I can uh, see what I can work out. Let's move on to the bridge and uh, Kalaka is what I'm going to guess that how that's pronounced. I should have been paying more attention when I watched the episode. I'm sure it was mentioned in there. We expressed some a lot of a lot of hope for this, a lot of promise, but also some reservations. How did the second episode take care of these fears or reinforce them for you? Um, yeah, I'm not sure it did either of those. It felt about on par with the pilot. I. F- did enjoy Diane Kruger's scenes a little bit more this week. I don't know if that's just because I'm getting used to how she plays the role or because she gets better stuff to do, but I thought everything with her sort of... I, people compared her bar fling uh, scenes with similar stuff with Carrie on Homeland, but I didn't think of that at all for some reason. So was that just me? No, I didn't go to Carrie, though. As soon as you say it, that does make sense. But uh, And I enjoyed that sequence. I thought that was probably my favorite sequence for her this week when she's working um again so it's what we talked about last week where you're i'm having trouble believing she would have this job if she's so incapable of picking up on cues it seems odd that she would have risen to this level where she would be put in a situation to just completely ignore everything her partner at this really at this point is saying and to put his life in danger because she's clueless you know like there's certain things in this episode that were were even a little bit more annoying to me than than in the pilot i think that's interesting that we're having sort of reverse reaction but in general i thought the episode was a was was good i don't care about the tunnel really i don't care about the uh, the i don't care about jano <laughs> yeah i love that we're just gonna we're just, I'm gonna, just gonna, gonna call him, keep jano, calling him right? jano yeah the 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 his the vocal choice for that character is not working for me yet. Maybe just because we don't know anything about the character. And so it feels sort of 
tacked on or cliched. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of pulling a chigger on us. Yeah, it's not the not the most nuanced so far. I do care, however, about the the woman trying to get across the border that we see for like th- you know like five minutes maybe over the course of the episode. I'm way more interested in her than I am in anything involving the tunnel or or Jono, even though I have a feeling that might be Jono there at the end. Uh, it's entirely possible, or it could be the killer. Or it could uh, we be the killer. Yeah, we we really don't know. And of course, they're trying to. Make us believe that Jono might be the killer, which, come on, people, we know he's not. We know he's not. I like I Lillard a lot, though, in this. We didn't talk about him last week, but I'm very much enjoying his performance. I think he's a very capable actor, and it's nice to see him get a role like this to play. Yeah, I like his scenes a lot, too, with, with uh, if I'm not mistaken, Emily Rios, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Epic from mm-hmm. Friday Night Lights, yep. who she has a habit of showing up on some really good shows. Yeah. Um, but uh, so good for her. Um, yeah, I, I guess the... The broad strokes, I'm still not sure where it's all going, which is not a bad thing. I, I would much prefer it takes its time, um, but uh, I would say that most of the little most of the little things and the characters are working for me. I'm still really digging Ted Levine. I I I think it's unfortunate that they started off with him talking about retirement because then they're going to have to justify keeping him around, which I'd much prefer just him not having to justify that because I don't want to think about him leaving because he's such an essential part of why I think those scenes work. Yeah, the the standout though for me remains Damien Bashir. Uh, I care way more about his character and you know his family and everything he's experiencing than really anyone else on the show at this point. But I, yeah, I think not dissimilar to what we said last week. There's still some things that I have a question mark for me, but on the whole, I do look forward to the next episode. Yeah, and I didn't didn't even register for me that Damien Bashir's wife is played by Catalina Sandina Moreno, mm-hmm. who I don't know if you've seen Maria Full of Grace, but ha ha. That's an amazing movie, and she's amazing in it. So I'm, 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 I'm hoping she gets more to do, uh, because although I, I just have this sinking feeling that terrible, terrible things are going to happen in that family. Yeah, I don't think that. As soon as we find out, you know, that she's in the family way, I, I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> yeah, totally. This is totally. not good for you, wife. Oh well. This is not going to be good for anyone. This is not going to be. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Speaking of not good for anyone, let's move on to the newsroom and the Genoa tip. <laughs> good. Good segue. Oh, the newsroom. I'm so back to loving to hate this show. I it's I, I feel like the cult of hate watching the newsroom has pretty much died away, which it makes me sad because I still really enjoy doing it. And I don't feel like the show is any less deserving, uh, especially this week, which really I thought walked back on a lot of the supposed progress they made last week. I don't know. What did you think? Well, maybe because you had mentioned that to me, I, it felt not particularly different to me. Maybe I was, I was looking for more glaring issues. And uh, when you look at the the gender politics of, of the show, there are some really annoying things. But for the most part, I, I really like Lisa, the friend, best friend character. And that actress is is great. She shows up all over the place, especially as the the best friend. So I keep kind of waiting for her to get a more interesting role. But I think she makes a, a lot out of her character here. And I feel like, for the most part, the the lady problems for the newsroom can be summed up in Maggie at this yep. point. It's, it's, I don't know if, if it's really fair to call it lady problems or, or gender problems when it's really just a one character because i'm pretty much okay with mac here i'm pretty much okay with sloan and uh and i even like the 
we called her Polly from from Orange is the New Black. I even like the the person with the the Sex and the City fanfic that we we meet. I thought that was entertaining. And so for me, it really just does come down to Alison Pill's character being completely obnoxious, and it appears that they will be utterly wasting Grace Gummer as a is a another basically Lisa two point in the let's keep Jim and Maggie apart for some reason. I'm pretty sure that counts as a future lady problem, but we'll but yeah. you know we'll get there. More news as the story develops. Yes, um, I mean it's for me the issue really is that if you look at the way the plots are divided this week, you know Neil gets to cover continue to cover Occupy Wall Street, even gets arrested. I did like his line about that later. The uh, you know Don is dealing with uh, this. Um, is dealing with this inmate who's who's hoping to get a, a stay of execution on, although that's also secretly dealing with Maggie, but they really downplay that. You know, um, Will is, first of all, <laughs> Will gets to be a hero on 9-11, which, oh, am I the only one who hated that sequence? I, it was okay for me, but yeah, I could definitely, oh. I saw, yeah, I saw what you are talking about. Oh, oh God. Uh, but besides the that, the sequence didn't bother me so much as the fact that they decided to include the sequence is more indicative of the larger problem. Like the the actual scene we saw, I thought was fine, but the fact that they decided he's not enough of a heroic figure. Yeah, can we make him a nine eleven hero? Glorify him a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah, that's the so it's really the outer layer of that that was was more annoying. Mm-hmm. But it just felt to me like the men all got like serious ideological stuff to deal with, while the women got to chase around four square clues to take down a YouTube video. Well, no, Matt got to say no a lot. Matt got to say no a lot, but then at the end, but then at the end, she got to be starry eyed at will again. Well, of course that's her main, that's her main function on the show. And uh, yeah, there's the newsroom is the newsroom and hopefully (laughs) certain things will get better and certain things like I, I, I feel terrible for wanting them to just get over get it over already and brutalize Maggie so she can hopefully grow. Which, or by the way, kill what her, we, get her off the show. What, what do we think happens? Okay, can I just say that if she gets raped in Africa, I can already see people just raging about it, and it kind of makes me happy. Does that make me a horrible person? Well, I'm a feeling she her hair at the least is maybe her head is shaved, maybe her hair just gets, you know, all cut off and something obviously something horrible is going to happen and yeah i just i don't even want to think about what kind of terrible ripped from the headlines thing they're going to do to her that's going to be offensive not to <laughs> not to the the show but to the fact that they're using this for their narrative purposes on the show because they can't figure out how to write a compelling female character who doesn't just run away to africa when when she makes an ass of herself in front of her various love interests. Well, it was bad enough that this week they used the execution as a way to make Will seem more compassionate and interesting. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which I can't have been the only one who picked up on that and went, oh. Well, and that just immediately ties back to what we've already talked about. That if these were fictionalized stories, news stories, it, much of the problems with the show would bother us just a little bit less. No, that's absolutely true. And... You know, every once in a while, there will be a good line or, you know, a good exchange, a good bit of performance. And uh, uh, once again, I'm still totally shocked at, that Olivia Munn's been so good on this in particular. Well, but... like, when are you going to stop being shocked? Because she's been delivering solid to very good to great performance on this for now 
you know, two seasons, it appears. I just, I don't know. I just, I had such a strong anti-Olivia Munn bias that it's just, it's, it's taken it's, a long it's time, time to, to roll accept back. and move on, sir. I, I don't. She's like, great. I don't like to change my mind about stuff. Yeah, I, I. It doesn't feel good. That resembles me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. Well, are you going to keep, I, I shouldn't even ask. You are going to keep hate watching and keep uh, commenting, yes? Oh, absolutely. I, I love to watch this show. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to watch right now. Oh, good times. Well, what wins the week in drama for you then? Um, I guess I will give it to I, this week. I'm going to give it to the killing because it was probably it might have been their best episode this season, even though I wasn't totally wild on some of the developments. But I, I'm going to and also it was directed by Jonathan Demi, who did a fantastic job, as you might expect. So uh, the, the pedigree on that show is just like the pedigree on that show is better than the show. And that's slightly frustrating, but it still makes for some really compelling TV from time to time. Okay, and I'm going to give it to the bridge over the newsroom. Shock and astonishment. What? And uh, I I haven't had a chance to catch up with 9 for 9 yet. I will do that this week. And I have a feeling that it, I would have given it to 9 for 9 if I had a chance to see that one yet. But well, with Comic-Con and everything, I wasn't able to catch up on everything. So we're going to take a break now, speaking of Comic-Con, and come back and break down the the TV side of the, of the convention. So we'll be right back. Good little girl. Always picking a fight with me, you know that I'm bad. But you're spending the night with me, what do you want from my world? You're a good little girl. Oh, no. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. Before we get to my take on Comic-Con 2013, we're going to talk for a little bit with Todd Vanderwerf, of course, the TV editor for the AV Club. We're doing a little impromptu interview here on the last day of Comic-Con before you have to catch your, your, your train. It's been a long weekend. What's your con experience been like? How do you approach Comic-Con? Um, I, in the previous years, have just tried to have fun basically um this year that has been more difficult than ever it's uh too crowded this year the whole area is just insane um i've been coming for five years and i fear this is my last wow that's you know i mean we're nerds you know we're we're tv nerds that's that's saying something well you know um i can handle crowds up to an extent but i've gotten shut out of stuff that i never would have gotten shut out of even last year and it's just um I don't go to a lot of TV panels. I try and go to stuff that's like fresh and exciting and I've never heard of before. And this year that hasn't been the case because I'm just, I get stranded somewhere and held up by 5 million people. 
So then if you're mostly avoiding the TV panels, you're checking out some of the lesser known perhaps uh, projects, is there something that was particularly of interest to you? Or like, did you have a discovery this year? Um, I really had some good times on the show floor, I always do. Um, I have some artists I like to check out. I, I got a nice discount on a book I've been trying to buy for ages that's way too expensive. But you know, it's uh, the panels this year, yeah, I, I got I got shut out of a lot. I normally try to go to like a how to write panel because that's I think that's interesting. I'm um, like how to write fantasy science fiction, and this year, you know, I couldn't get into anything like that. And in the past, you normally would have. This year for me was just all about walking around and taking in the sights. And I spent a day in Hall H, I guess. And um, there was a really good panel there about uh, women who kick ass. I've been to it a couple times before. Entertainment Weekly does it every year. But this year it was really strong and it was really good. And, of course, the Hall H crowd did not enjoy it. That's, that's really interesting because, of course, that's one of the panels that our, li our listeners specifically requested that I try to see. And that wasn't going to happen based on, you know, what else was in Hall H that day. Um, so maybe you can give sort of the highlights of that for our listeners. And also, it, that's one that seems like it's consistently, at the very least, interesting. E EW's women panel, and they have also have a men panel. I feel like the men panel kind of gets taken over by some of the woo girls. So we don't actually, they don't actually get to talk, but the, that doesn't seem to happen. Why do you, th do you think it's just some of the maybe more misogynistic undertones of cer a certain segment? And that's why, you know, there's some, a negative reaction to that, as well as such f strong, you know, from maybe the, the less cavemen group. I think that there's, uh, there, it was smart of Comic-Con to program that where they did. It was right after the Hunger Games panel. Um, you know, Katniss Everdeen is sort of the prototypical uh, kick-ass woman right now, even though she's a teenager. Um, so it made sense to have it there, and I'm sure they thought, like, Jennifer Lawrence would just come right back out, but she wasn't able to. So it was, um, it, they had some really good people on there. They had Michelle Rodriguez and Tatiana Maslany and Katie Sackhoff and uh, Maggie Q., and somebody else who I can't remember. Yes, Tanai Guerrero. And they all had amazing thoughts. And they were talking about like sexism in the industry and, and like feminism and stuff like that. And the crowd, about halfway through, Michelle Rodriguez said the phrase, um, destructive male culture, I believe. And the crowd, just sort of, the crowd just sort of flipped in that moment. You could tell that before that they were just kind of actively ignoring it, waiting for the, the X-Men to come up. And they, they flipped in that moment. And it, it, the mood at the end, I don't want to say it was hostile or anything, but it was not a, a happy mood. Well, that's interesting because for me, I saw that quote on Twitter, and I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Why am I not there? Yeah, it was great to just have that in Hall H. Um, what I think Comic-Con underestimated was, even with all the big stars on that panel, um, like how many people were going to be there all day sitting and waiting for Marvel, which is sort of the big ticket event here which was at the very end of the day. Um, and those people were not people who wanted to hear about feminism and sexism within the industry. They just wanted to watch comic book movie trailers. And some of them, you know, handled that in silence and just looked at their iPads or whatever, which, which is cool. You can ignore whatever you want. Um, but other people were more openly uh, hostile and rude and impolite, and that was, that was a problem for me. Well, because there are people who, you know, like we were talking about, Simon specifically said he, you know, wanted to, to hear that panel. Our listeners said they would like to hear about that panel. So there are definitely people who waited in line to see Hunger Games or other things and then stuck around because they were really interested. And it's never, it's never cool as far as I'm concerned to, yeah. to influence somebody else because they might have been waiting in line for five hours to get in and see that panel and somebody else is being a dick and they yeah. kind of ruin it. Uh, more than that, even, you know, a lot of people were in line for 12 hours for especially for Hunger Games. And I'm sure that some of those people stuck around 
for the women who kick ass panel because it's an object, uh, something that they're interested in, especially the mini teenage girls who were there for Hunger Games. You know, it's there's this assumption on the part of the average Comic-Con goer who is increasingly not the average Comic-Con goer. Um, I think you see this play out a lot on the Internet, especially in, like, comment sections at, like, mainstream sites, like, you know, CNN, Huffington Post, things like that, where there's this assumption on the part of certain people that everybody is like them, and they tend to skew towards the white male, though they're obviously not all white male. And that was that was where the mood sort of flipped. There were plenty of women who were unhappy with that panel, too, in the room. But to me, it seemed predominantly driven by by fanboys. Well, and I, I, we only have a few more minutes, but one, I wanted to address that because looking at my Comic-Con experience today on Sunday, I, got up, I was in line at 6 a.m. to try to get in for 10 o'clock Supernatural and then 11, 11.15, Breaking Bad, and then 12.30, Doctor Who. I got in at a little after one. So I waited in line for seven and a half hours, and I got to see like half of a panel before I had to leave because of other commitments. And w w the thing that struck me, and I, I don't know how much of this is programming, it seems like at this point, Comic-Con has been around a very long time. People, like the Twilight boom, creating all of this crazy line and camping situation. I feel like Comic-Con should know how to handle that at this point but we still have scheduling such that there are these big ticket items that will dominate all of the audience all day long. And we have open seats throughout the, you know, the, in the middle of rows, the hall is dark, it's hard to, for the security guards to see. What needs to happen so that situations like this panel being full, like 6,000 know, people, maybe 3,000 of them don't care about it, but they're gonna sit through it. What do you think you know the, the the people running Comic Con can maybe do to try to, uh, you know, ameliorate that situation. I've thought about this every year I've come here, and I don't know. Um, the answer everybody has is clear the rooms. That's not really fair if you're a Breaking Bad fan who's also a community fan, and there's a lot of overlap there yeah. in those two fan bases. So you know, but that's not fair to a Doctor Who fan who can't get in because a Breaking Bad fan is sitting through the Doctor Who panel to get to community. So it's this. It's this crazy thing that they're just, you know, and everybody says it needs to move somewhere else, but I think leaving San Diego is a bad decision. Um, and everybody says San Diego needs to expand its convention center, which the city is looking at, but it's just going to scale everything up, you know. There's enough people that want to get in. They'll just let more people in and we'll have the exact same problem. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what the answer is. I think that every year I've gotten here, the volunteers have gotten a little bit smoother at running everything. The lines have run really efficiently this year. Um, I've had a good time in line for the most part. I've spent a lot of time in line. Thank you for that, by the way. You were keeping me sane there today. But, yeah, it's just, it, it gets to a point where it gets to be too much. Like, I am not that old. I'm in my early 30s, but I don't care about this stuff as much as, like, a 16-year-old who's just discovered Doctor Who and thinks Doctor Who, like, like saved her life, basically. Like, I can never care as much as that person, and that person's always going to have more devotion than me. Um, it almost turns into a, a, a case of, you know, who has the most dedication, and I just don't have that much anymore. Well, it, but it's not even just that. You kind of expect that for Hall H. You expect that for, for, for Ballroom 20, but the Indigo Ballroom line was longer than ever, and they, they were turning people away from Hannibal an hour, at, over, at least an hour before the panel was even going to start because the line was, was too long. I, don't, I, I agree it's a very complex situation. I don't think there's an easy answer, but... Uh, well, their TV programmer needs to do a better job of figuring out what shows are going to draw an audience. 
it took the movie programmer years to figure that out, and they finally started to get the right movies in the right places. But um, the TV programmer, like, both Orphan Black and Hannibal closed their line two hours before the panel started. And... Well, we should say, it's not that they weren't letting people line up. It was, be aware, you're mathematically not getting in for this panel. So yeah. if you want to see the thing after it, you're probably cool. But yeah. just don't spend your time in line if that's all you care about. Yeah. And uh, that was just, um, that was crazy to me that they didn't realize that, like, Orphan Black and Hannibal especially were going to have fan bases that could easily fill Indigo and probably fill Ballroom 20. And that the following would be half empty. Yeah, the following was half empty. Almost Human was half empty. All this stuff they had in Ballroom 20 that they thought was going to draw an audience just didn't. And I could see the logic of the following gets a lot of viewers. But you kind of have to look at, you almost have to look at trends in like online comment sections now to understand what's really getting traction. And just speaking as the editor of the AV Club, Hannibal and Orphan Black, they picked up week after week after week. The following picked up week after week after week, but for a very different reason of just people like mercilessly mocking that show. So you, you kind of have to like, you can't just look at the Nielsen's or anything like that. You kind of have to like read tea leaves that are, that are hard to see. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for taking your time. I know you have to catch your train. Any final thoughts about Comic-Con this year or next year and uh, best costume that you saw? <laughs> um, I saw a lot of good costumes, but I, I think I'm always going to come back to either Stormtrooper Waldo, who I thought was really great, or um, Princess Sexy Princess Peach, who was also a nuclear arms protester. And she carried, she was dressed as Princess Peach, and she was a sexy Princess Peach. And like that in and of itself, I'd be like, eh, whatever. But then she had a cardboard sign that said, no mushroom clouds in the Mushroom Kingdom. And I was like, that girl is my favorite person <laughs> to have ever lived. Um, I, I just want to briefly say I sat through the Sherlock I always want to say Sherlock because that's how uh, Alan Cummings says it. I sat through the Sherlock panel. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, Stephen Moffat gets on my nerves sometimes, but he is a lot of fun when he's sort of teasing the audience. Um, I think he treats his life like a puzzle mystery. <laughs> and uh, So that was fun. And they showed a clip from season three, which I won't spoil, but it was great. Um, and I'm not the world's biggest Sherlock fan, but it was a really great really great clip it made me excited to see the episode it did everything a panel is supposed to do it was pbs's first time at comic-con and they, they they really hit it out of the park um with that and then i went to the x-files which was not as good but i the x-files is what got me into tv the x-files is what got me into fandom if i had been 16 and at comic-con in like 20 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever um and had had wanted to see something it would have been x-files i would have sat in line for 24 hours to see x-files um I got in because I cheated and did the press thing where I had a ticket to get into the one before and then went to the back. There are very few of those. There are. <laughs> Heads up, I don't get those. <laughs> There's only a handful, and I, I have a good relationship with PBS, so they, they let me into Sherlock, and then I just scooted to the back of the room for X-Files. But it was great. It was Mulder and Scully, Kate. It was Mulder and Scully, and they were there, and they had flashlights. And that was literally all I needed. The rest of the panel could have just been everyone staring blankly at the audience, which it pretty much was. And I would have been like, yeah. So that was, that was my Comic-Con happy moment. Unfortunately, it came on Thursday, and then the rest of the weekend was like, oh, God, there are people here. <laughs> yeah, Thursday is much more open. But, uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was, it was an interesting Comic-Con in many ways. And you know what I'm taking away from this, though, more than anything? You need to come back on the DVD shelf and talk X-Files with us because we haven't done that yet. I do. We're going to do that. Uh, we, we will talk X-Files till the cows come home.
<laughs> it does. Um, we're going to take a break, listen to a little music and a little geek-themed music and come back, of course, with Simon and to talk about my Comic-Con experience and take a little bit more in-depth look at all the TV coverage at the con this year. What can I say? Usher! This is mortifying. Okay, I'll do a little group. What about a little sparks fly or something? Oh, like that. she's like, yes. Oh my god. Can you guys like start? Look at all the cameras. <laughs> heard from Todd Vanderwerf of the AV Club, uh, who was one of my buddies at the con this year, and as I, as you heard in that, helped me out in line on Sunday, was, was one of my line buddies, keeping me keeping me on the right side of the, the Comic-Con experience. Uh, obviously, sir, I know you are not the Comic-Con type, but l um, to prevent this from turning into Kate monologuing for the next half an hour... Uh, I'm gonna turn the reins over. What, what? Any questions? What should we talk about for Comic Con? Oh well, then. Uh, I mean, I did notice I was reading Todd's uh, sort of blog entries on the con, and he seemed to be uh, quite dispirited by the, shall we say, uh, the glut of people in in uh, in two small spaces and not being able to get into things, uh, including things that should have been totally get intoable. Uh, did you find that to be an a, an issue this year? I had a very different con experience this year from last year. Last year, I got up every morning and was in the Barroom 20 line, and and then the, on Sunday, the Hall H line, I stayed. I, I got up and was in line by 6 or 7 a.m. every day, had no trouble getting into Ballroom 20 or Hall H for the first panel of the day at 10. Um, for Hall H, I got in, like, it took a while, so I got in, like, 15 minutes into the panel, but I got in. This year... Because of a number of reasons, but not the least being the number of shows I cared about in the big rooms was usually one or two, which wasn't enough for me to have it be my whole day. I did the smaller rooms for every day except for Sunday. So I was actually, I was avoiding the crazy lines and didn't end up having to deal with a lot of that. I, I did get in line for Orphan Black like two hours earlier and I did, and last year I don't think I would have been able to do this. I did skip some panels on on Saturday. I did skip some panels on Saturday, or maybe it was Friday, in order to hang out with some friends, some internet buddies, uh, friends of the show who've been on, because they were going to be leaving, and I wasn't going to get another opportunity. And there wasn't anything that I felt was worth seeing at the expense of not getting to interact with these people who live on the other side of the country that I will not be able to see until next year. And I think that shift in priority is uh, made for a, a more a more fun uh, experience and, and a more memorable one, perhaps. So I had a great time last year. I had I, I did not regret my approach last year. I still don't. I had a great time this year. It just was a different... It was a different con. There are a lot of different ways to do the con, and I did a little different this way this year, and I enjoyed both. 
Fair enough. Well, I guess just to get into it, I mean, let's just do it the simple way. What, what if you know, shotgun to the con? Uh, top, <laughs> let's say top three panels. Top three panels that I saw. Well, I well, yeah, I have to because there are a few, and there's one notable one. We'll talk about it later. That I really wish I'd been able to to see like a live feed of in another room or something. But the three that I saw that were the the best. Probably, well, the Orphan Black panel was fantastic. That was a lot of fun. I was in the room for the the panel beforehand. That was just 500 people in a room. There were several hundred who had been waiting outside who didn't get in, or at least they 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 capped the line. So it was probably like 100 who were waiting out line outside who didn't get in who wanted to be there. But it was there was such excitement in the room. I live tweeted that one, which was. So much fun. And if you follow me on Twitter and don't care about Comic-Con, Simon, uh, I'm sorry for deluging you. I wasn't going to do it any other way, though, because it was so much fun. I got lots of great feedback. Well, I, I do care people. about Orphan Black, so it's an acceptable yeah. compromise. No, they showed a lot of clips, which weren't as meaningful to me. But one of the things I thought was really fun was watching... You know how every time, if you're in a crowd watching a trailer, every time another star comes in like like if you're watching the expendables trailer or something or red every time the different celebrity comes on screen that people will cheer because it's the introduction of the oh and i really like this actor and i really like that actor i thought it was hilarious and awesome that in the orphan black trailer that they showed us every time a different clone came on there was a huge cheer as if they were all different people because obviously for us they are and um so so that was that was a lot of fun and we can talk more about uh, dive into Orphan Black if you if you would like if you're curious. Also, I would say the Adult Swim lineup was fantastic. Um, don't make me choose one. <laughs> Venture Brothers and NTSF SDSUV and Children's Hospital. And then the other thing I will say is I went to a composition film panel about and uh, about superhero movies. So they had a, a a lineup of, you know, some directors but also the composers from movies like uh, Agent Carter of Shield which was a short based over, around of course the love interest from Captain America and then there was there was Thor, there was Iron Man 2, there was um, Bear McCreary from who will be doing Shield and so there was a, and Kick-Ass 2 as well. So there was a group of people and they would show, would show clips from the different movies, talk about the music, show the clip without the music, then with the music, sort of discuss the different approach. And for me, that was really interesting because, of course, I was taking pages of notes in my notebook, analyzing the the compositional choices and, and all of that. I thought it was very interesting to see one 40-set clip that used very clearly 60s-inspired, Bond-inspired music, and then another one that used much more period music. So that kind of stuff I was totally geeking out about. Uh, and I know you only said th- you said three, but I'm gonna I, I have to talk about one of the other ones, and that is Sp- Starship Smackdown. Did you see my ridiculous number of tweets about that? I did. Yes. Yes. So Sunday was a bit of a dispiriting day, and we will talk about that. I'm sure, but it was it was a long day. I was in line for seven hours for thirty minutes of panel, and which yeah. panel was that? That was Doctor Who. Oh. And Doctor Who just keeps letting you down this year. It, it, we'll talk about that more. <laughs> We're keeping it positive for now. And so, and I had been on, I, I had been in line for seven hours. I, and so I was tired. I was sore. I had gotten up way too early that morning so I could take a cab in and be there in line. Um, I, I was carrying around my ridiculously heavy backpack all weekend. I was really exhausted and tired. And I, 
and, and then I tried to walk the floor because Sunday is supposed to be the the off day for that. And the floor was insane. I always, I, I don't really have a claustrophobia thing, but I, I just started, was you know getting way too stressed out, starting to freak out being, I just needed to get out of the, the floor. Um, and, and so I didn't get, cause I meant to get some, some presents for some, some friends and I wasn't able to do that. So I was feeling disappointed, sort of run down. And then I go up to Starship Smackdown. I considered not even going or leaving at like in the first minutes after I got there, but it was, had been a lot of fun last year. And last year, of course, we talked about Neil deGrasse Tyson showed up out of the blue and that was kind of amazing. And I'm pretty sure that that may have saved my con experience as a whole. Cause it was so much fun. It was it was just the perfect way to end the con, and instead of you know, I had I had been feeling really tired, and it's been a long week, it's been a long weekend, it's you know I'm ready for the for the con to be over. When I walked into the room, and when I walked out of the room an hour and a half later, I was getting kind of choked up and misty that it was over, that I had to leave and I wouldn't be able to come back for another year. It it was just you know, they had a panel of spaceshipologists including the director of Free Enterprise, the writer of Thor, the guy who run, ran the uh, Mars Discovery rover program from JPL. Like, a really fun, diverse panel. And then it came down to basically an hour and a half of of improv and, and stand-up and ridiculously nerdy conversations about would the Enterprise from the Mirror Mirror universe in the original series as captained by Captain Crunch beat the Starship of the Imagination as captained by Captain America. Yes. My head hurts. Yes, exactly. Because in the first round, you just have the spaceships. In the second round, you have a randomly selected captain. So, and that gets, you know, that changes up the mix. And that's how Serenity, as captained by Hawkeye Pierce, ended up winning. Because they determined he would just make, make it into a party and all the other captains would just say, screw it and then the serenity would win and so captain quint from jaws with the borg cube ended up losing to hawkeye and serenity yeah this is what you know we're spending and then of course you have a panel of people who really love this stuff and who are who (laughs) they had the nsa protector from from galaxy quest yes but it wasn't the NSA protector from Galaxy Quest. It was the movie. It was the NSA protector from Galaxy Quest, the classic television series. That's the level of nerdery we're talking about here. And it was just exhilarating and fun. And at one point, they started talking about the 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 music uh, for for I believe the original Star Trek film, and comparing it with different composers and uh, and using that as a defense for why they were voting for one thing over the other. And then Bear McCreary runs up on stage and says, actually, this is what it, you know, that's not who did it. And you got to give credit. This is one of the all-time great sci-fi scores. You know, so because he was just kind of hanging out in the panel because the and the audience, because it's an awesome audience to be in. And it was just, it was such a beautiful, perfect, wonderful way to end my con. And at the same time, there was Sons of Anarchy happening in Hall H. There was the Buffy musical sing-along happening, but... I, 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 there could have been Doctor Who happening, or there could have been Sherlock, or there could have been any of the Orphan Black. Maybe would have been as fun, but really, that was just the perfect way to end the con, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. So anybody who is feeling burned out, and I, I told Todd about this because I know he was feeling very burned out by by everything, especially on Sunday. Anybody feeling burned out at the end of the con next year? If you 
tend towards this kind of nitpicking nerdery in any way, go to Starship Smackdown. You'll be so glad you did. Duly noted <laughs> for those of you who are likely to be doing that. Uh, so I guess with, with, with the best out of the way, I guess uh, inevitably the disappointments must, must arise. Uh, do you want to get the big one out of the way then? Um, well, the big, one of the big ones for me was that I didn't get in for Hannibal at all. So they had to cut the line off two hours ahead of time. And unfortunately, my predictions of only a few minutes after seeing the schedule that they had put both Hannibal and Orphan Black in way too smaller rooms proved to be accurate. Um, so that was that was a disappointment. But the, my, my main frustration overall was probably um, and I went to the strike back panel and unfortunately ended up next to a less than desirable seatmate who one of those people who felt the need to respond to everything the panel was saying as if they were having a conversation and everything they were saying was hilarious. Um, but that show seems awesome in a, you know, not quite Spartacus level, but a very explosion kind of way. So that, that was kind of fun. But the, the big frustration was probably Sunday and, and the, the Hall H line. And the reason I was frustrated was not that I didn't get in for Supernatural or Breaking Bad or the first half of Doctor Who. The reason I was frustrated is that when I did get in for Doctor Who, there were seven open seats that I could have put my hand on directly next to me in my immediate vicinity. And by the end of the panel, and I did seen the hundreds and actually maybe even a thousand people in line who wanted to be inside, three of those seven seats were never filled. And I checked with the people around me and there was no, they weren't being saved for anyone. They just were not filled. And there were, I was seeing tweets like that throughout the first two panels of the day as well. And when you're at, when you're at uh, Comic-Con and you don't get into Hall H or you don't get into Ballroom 20 right away in the morning, even if you've been there for a very long time, at a certain point, you know, you have to expect that it's part of what comes with Comic-Con. I don't mind sitting outside because I didn't get in line early enough. That doesn't bother me as much. But when I should be inside because there are open seats that are not being used and I'm stuck outside, especially just at the edge of the tents about to go in, that's in infuriating to me there has to be a better way to do it i have some ideas about that but they've been you know the 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 crazy insane camping lines and people staying all day has been going on long enough at comic-con that they should be better at it the lines i should say the volunteers were wonderful throughout the the um the lines ran very smoothly it was actually it's kind of astonishing that there weren't any incidents or anything but the way that they run hall h and sometimes maybe even Ballroom 20, I wasn't really following that this year. It, it's just stupid, the way they do the seating. And there needs to be a shift with that, in my opinion. All right. And But the the, the, the actual panel itself, any, any Well, I good? wasn't in for the panel. I saw I saw some fan Q&A. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I wasn't sure about the distinction. Yeah, no. The, the, so they showed a trailer for the, the 50th anniversary special they showed a trailer for the document docudrama about the creation of doctor who and they showed a doctor who through 50 years sign of kind of montage and i didn't get to see any of those and then of course it was the panel was moderated by craig ferguson fantastic choice as far as i'm concerned um he's a big doctor who fan and just a lot of fun and and, and so then it would have started with him asking questions back and forth and sort of a conversation but um but the uh the, yeah the the, the fan questions are sometimes very 
useful and meaningful and fun. And sometimes they're, would you sign my awesome jacket? And it was a very awesome jacket. This guy had made a 11th Doctor style jacket out of 11 Comic-Con swag bags. And, and he wanted the 11th Doctor to sign it. And that's cool and all. But that's taking up everybody's time so that you can get your you can get your one thing signed without having to wait in line at the signing table for you know so you know sort of things like that weren't weren't as is interesting and um and, and like one of the questions we, we ended up uh, Moffat ended up talking about how no one had noticed that Rivers that that the doctor had just grabbed River Song and kissed her at one point that was the first time the doctor had ever grab someone with a lustful intent and I'm like sitting in the back here angrily tweeting as if it means anything. It doesn't. I know. I know I'm powerless in this situation and that they, they really don't care. But it's like some of us have been noticing that and, and freaking hate it. So yeah. So so I think if it had been a show where I was less mixed and you didn't have had less complicated emotions, perhaps maybe I would have been more excited about the fan Q and a, but, um, but yeah, that was the, th- that was the, the one frustration. And that's why it was so wonderful to, I did actually find one thing on the floor for my sister that day, and then to to end so strongly with with Starship Smackdown as well as then I mean getting getting to meet up with some people for dinner, uh, I was I was very glad about that. The other big frustration or disappointment I shouldn't say frustration but disappointment is that I missed the women who kick ass panel, and I knew I wasn't gonna be able to see that based on when it was and where it was. But apparently it was awesome. Surprise. I mean, obviously, it's always interesting that when I've seen clips, you know, that you can find the entirety of the panels from previous years on on YouTube and other places. Um, But apparently it was even better than it usually is. And uh, I look forward to that eventually being pirated on YouTube so I can watch it. Well, I guess on the subject of women at the con, I mean, how did you feel like, um, I mean, I I hear, I always hear mixed reports about weirdness at Comic-Con with leering and Hmm. cosplaying and, you know, all all sorts of you know, things that come up when people are, are wearing varying degrees of sexy costumes in large groups. So h- how did you feel that went this year? And did, did you feel a shift between this year and last year? I did not feel a shift. It felt like there were more people dressed up this year, but it also could have just been that last year I went in with the expectation that a lot of people dress up and that was not the case last year, at least based on my expectations. I was surprised that there weren't more of like the normies, you know, level. I felt like there were a lot of people dressed wearing like, like Iron Man T-shirts, and not not dressed as Tony Stark. You know, kind of kind of a thing. Right. This year, they, I thought I felt like there were more costumes. There was a lot of really great, amazing cosplay, and there were obviously there's always going to be the the contingent of people wearing uh, ridiculously skimpy or revealing costumes of both genders. By the way, I saw many. There were many men walking around wearing just as little or less than the women. Uh, there were a few uh, Aquamen, and I was like, "That takes that takes balls." Not only because you're wearing a speedo, but also because everybody hates Aquaman. Um, <laughs> the 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 Indigo Ballroom line for for the first day was amazing because it was all the Adventure Time and Adventure Brothers people, all the people who look at the Hall H line and say, "Screw that! I'm gonna go watch a bunch of hilarious comedic panels all day." So the the costumes there were amazing. It didn't feel particularly squeaky. There wasn't like a I didn't notice a shift, but also it could have just been where I was. I wasn't in the 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 ballroom the the hall H that felt the need to shout out women who talk too much after the women who uh, kick ass panel went longer than they would have liked. You know, so I wasn't I wasn't dealing with the more uh, the less evolved crowd, I would say. So 
Oh, fair enough. Sounds like yeah. you got lucky. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's there's a very wide group of people at Comic-Con, and um, not everyone is the, the most socially evolved, but there are, you know, I would say the majority are all really great people. I was next to really cool people online almost everywhere I was at. I was very grateful for that. Uh, and some of you... Well, we're hopefully going to still be talking on Twitter. I had uh, I had uh, people who watched my stuff while and I could go get you know go go to the bathroom, go get some coffee, any of that stuff. It's a very friendly and um, for the most part, a really respectful place. At least that's my experience. Of course, I'm not running around in like a Leia costume, being constantly ogled, even when maybe I'm ready to not be. So I'm sure that's a very different experience. Um, but what my experience was for the most part very positive. I was. I was very glad to go to the Battleship Retention Warner Archive and Criterion Cast meetup on Thursday. That was great. Got to hang out with Todd, as you as you heard. Got to meet Mo Ryan, our, our who we nice. love. Breakfast with her and uh, and some other people too. I, hopefully next year I will get to meet some of the other people who because I was in the or- panel for Orphan Black and apparently Leanne Bonet Star, who of course came on to talk about Orphan Black with us, was in the room and I didn't get to find her, unfortunately. But um. I look forward to maybe some more of that next year, but uh, yeah, have, discussing standing around waiting in line for the the fun house, which I didn't actually end up going to into with, with Tyler and Josh from uh, from More Lessons. Tyler, of course, also Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension, discussing Murica and also discussing that with Ryan and uh, from Criterion Cast and and David uh, Bax from Battleship Pretension. It's a good thing when I'm having a heated debate about politics and. Everything else, we've discussed everything. And when I walk away from one of those, and I'm, and I've, I think my opinion has been changed, and I've come away with a new perspective, which I think you'd agree maybe doesn't happen enough. Uh, that's a good conversation, and it was really great, just kind of meeting people from all different walks of life, all different interests. Wait, wait, new perspective? My I perspective know. is correct. I don't understand. <laughs> well, what, my perspective what... is almost always correct as well. And this is perhaps why we get along, because we know we're right and everyone else is wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think David might have, to some extent, won me over. And now I also have this whole like, side thing going on. I'm analyzing, whenever I meet new people, I'm analyzing their reaction to how would you define the term America. So if you would like to discuss that with me, uh, theteleverse at gmail.com. I find it very, I find it fascinating, some of the differences there. But uh, as for a conversation for another time, it's not Comic-Con-y enough. Um, To be be clear, that's Murica, not America. Not America, but Murica. And I don't know how you want to spell spell that with a U or an E, but um, but no, that was, it was so much fun. And I'm sure they were really tired of me talking about it after a while, because it became my sort of pet thing. Um, But yeah, it was, you know, Comic-Con is all about embracing and... Of the of everyone's love of something that maybe you don't get to express in your daily life, but you have a group of people who all really want to have a good time and want to want to just have this really fun and open discourse. And yeah, you know, it was it was a great time. When I'm in line for seven hours and I'm having fun the whole way, you know that that something is right. So if I recall correctly, opening night is pilot night. Yes, yes. There's it's preview night, and Warner Brothers puts on you know a string of pilots that they air in ballroom 20. I saw three of the four. The fourth was the originals. And I was actually very glad that they aired that last. Cause then I could just leave. They were not going to air the fall, the pilot in the, from the fall, but instead said that I'm sure many of you have saw the, the pilot already. And I was like, wait, that's not, 
that's not what a pilot oh never mind (laughs) (laughs) so they did air some new footage that i would not have seen but i decided that having seen most of it i was gonna just go check out the floor instead but the the pilots I did see were tomorrow the Tomorrow People and Almost Human and the One Hundred. I will have reviews of those up very sh- soon. Hopefully, by the time you're listening to it, they already are up. And uh, I'll just talk about Almost Human because there was you know, some interest specifically expressed in that one. Tomorrow People and the One Hundred have some of, of the same problems. They're both CW shows. They both deal with um, you know, a sci-fi or fantasy kind of angle, and they both feature casts who are way too old to be playing teenagers. But, you know, that that being said, uh, let's talk about Almost Human. This comes from Bad Robot. It stars Carla Band and Michael Ely, and it's a buddy cop duo. The one cop doesn't like uh, the androids that are now required partners for all, all human cops. And guess what? His partner is an android. What? Um, what? But uh, the thing with this one is that, uh, well, first of all, the pilot's not great. It's not even necessarily good. The first third of it, is really not good because Carla Urban is doing a really heightened, I guess, performance. It's very scenery-chewing. It feels like, look, I'm being John McClane only without Bruce Willis, you know, his his sort of unexpected hero charm because it's Carl Urban. So we've all seen him be in awesome action movies and things. So he's not an unexpected lead. When I was watching this pilot, the first thing I wrote down in my notes was NTSFSDSUV. Oh. Because Ouch. he feels like a cross that uh, that lead character in the first third of the show feels like a cross between Paul Shear's character from NTSF and John McClane from Die Hard. So th- that's a problem. Fortunately, when Michael Ely shows up, he counter counterbalances Urban really well and th- that partnership actually has a lot of promise and could be really interesting. The trouble is it takes way too long for us to get to that point. And there are some really troubling, uh, there's some really troubling elements to the characters and what, what we see happen. For example, we watch them torture a suspect. We watch uh, Carl Urban throw his first Android partner out of the car on the middle of the freeway and it gets run over. And I'm sorry if if we know that one of our main characters is going to be an Android you shouldn't be playing off his destruction or murder of another android as funny. That should be dark. It shouldn't be funny because we're going to very soon have another android character that we're supposed to really care about. So if the show... It's one thing if the character doesn't care about it. It's another thing if the show doesn't care about it. And by playing that scene for laughs, it's telling us not to care about any of the the non-human characters except our very special exception. And especially when you look at the racial undertones of what this is about, that's particularly troubling. But I, I, I'm thinking way too much. They don't want me to be thinking <laughs> this much. There, There is some promise here. That it, has a, it has a decent to strong cast. and Isn't Lily Taylor in there? Yes, she is. She's the boss, and I, obviously she's great. Uh, Minka Kelly's in there as, as female cop. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, you know, I feel like that's pretty much her her role and but but really it comes down to carl urban and michael ely michael ely's giving a really nice subdued performance and i'm certain some people will like it it's not good enough for me to check in it's nowhere near fringe i would say if you're expecting something like fringe this is nowhere near fringe but um i'm sure there are some people who will like it and do you have any impression from this episode whether they're going to be doing you know, overarching plots, or does, yes. it, does it feel like they're okay? They're so hunting like down they're... a specific terrorist cell 
who okay. are trying. There's there's a larger arc. They may have some case of the week, but I would be surprised if they strayed too far from this. We got to get this. It's like a terrorist cell that's underground, and they've they've stolen a bunch of chemical weapons, and it's a whole thing. And there's a twist there that I'm not going to reveal, obviously, that will make the the situation um, more more personal. And oh, the other thing I should mention is Mackenzie Crook, who shows up for a few scenes and is fabulous, unsurprisingly. Nice. So, yeah, there 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 is some good casting in there. I wish they had just let Carl Urban keep his accent though, because he has the stereotypical. And Jono, <laughs> Jono's doing it too on the bridge. It's the stereotypical. I'm not American, so to do an American accent, I'm going to just kind of be low and gravelly and sound exactly like all of our action heroes it makes me think of do you remember chris morris in the in the pedophilia special talking about how they deserve gunishment <laughs> that's yeah. i feel like that's that may be where that comes from yeah i don't know but it's it's been a recurring thing i don't know if it started with uh with chris nolan's uh batman and uh you know that that particular take on the american accent but um anyways yeah, so so not terrible, certainly better than the other two pilots I saw, but also not particularly strong either. So that those were that was the pilot night. I didn't see any other pilots over the course of the of the con. Many people did see see various you know, Starcrossed or uh, Blacklist. There there were many other pilots that screened Shield screened, but these were the three that I got to see. It would have been just great if they just screened the the, the pilot to the Shield instead. I <laughs> would have been nice. I would have seen that. I would have watched that. Well, I mean, we already had top three panels and, you know, we talked about the Doctor Who-ness as well. But was there any just other disappointments or bad ones that you want to mention? I know I know you don't like to dwell on the bad things. Yeah, the I mean, bad isn't the right word, but or disappointing isn't the right word. But it, it kind of was a bad panel. I went to I ended up at the Indigo Ballroom for the TV Land Legends of Comedy panel, mostly because I figured I would go to see Ghost Girls with Jack Black uh, right after that. And uh, it, it, yeah, and also Jason Ritter showed up for that one it, it, in ghost form, which was pretty fun. But in the TV Land panel, it was just, it was very strange. So you had a moderator who was doing her best at hosting, and she seemed very comfortable up there and, and personable. But then you brought out William Shatner, who apparently is at this because he was in about maybe five minutes of one episode of Hot in Cleveland. And then we we had Roseanne, who was there because her show is now being played in reruns on TV Land. And we had Wayne Knight there because he has he's actually in an original show on TV Land that will be starting up soon. So the only one who should have been there for a TV Land panel was Wayne Knight. But if they're going to do a Legends of TV comedy, the only one of them who should have been there really was Roseanne. And so it was just very, as one might expect, if you have Shatner sitting next to Roseanne, it was a bit of a shit show with with (laughs) the poor moderator. She was trying, but she didn't get to talk. And uh, every now and again, Wayne Knight would throw something in. And he had very interesting things to say, but just that, that... that panel was completely dominated. What they should have done instead was just had Shatner interview Roseanne because I think he's actually a really talented and interesting interviewer and he gets a lot of really great contents in, in that. And that's kind of what it turned into. And whenever Shatner and Roseanne and Wayne Knight, you know, every now and again when he could get a word in, we're talking, we're being serious and sort of analyzing television and its history and its role 
in so in, in in sociology and and things like that it was actually really interesting or the history of television they talked a little bit about the honeymooners shatner hates the honeymooners and and roseanne loves it so that was really or at least likes it thinks it's good um same thing with wayne knight it was so that things like that were really interesting but every now and again they would especially shatner they would try to be funny and then it was just it was just kind of awkward and crickets you know so if if they had stayed more on the thoughtful end of the spectrum it could have been really good I, these are very intelligent people with a long history in television i mean shatner you you don't star in three very influential hit shows in the course of your career by accident that doesn't happen so he obviously is very talented and very good at what he does and knows a lot about the industry and the business and what television can be and can do. And Roseanne obviously does as well. So it it was very odd. It was a half empty room at least, if not more empty. And we, we did get tote bags. I should mention there is some swag from Comic-Con that I have for listeners. If they're curious, I have to figure out how we're going to dole that out. But I have a tote bag. I have a pin from Grimp. I have some other things like that. And what will you be keeping? Oh, I will be keeping the Orphan Black Clone Club buttons that that we got because I happened to be walking past that line. I was already inside, but I went out to to use the restroom and happened to do so at the perfect opportunity because the people who were in line got pins, but the people inside didn't because the people inside were guaranteed to see the panel. But I just happened to be walking by. So I got got an Allison one. It was a twofer. I saw an Allison one and a Helena one. And so my sister and I are going to to split those but um that's the bit of swag that i will not be giving away you're obviously keeping allison right no i'm, I'm letting her choose first because i'm a good sister oh i know which means i assume oh, i'll end up with helena but we haven't really discussed it so that's the swag <laughs> that i will be keeping i do i should have an adventure time pin that i was figuring i would yoink for you sir and that can be your your prize but no there was a lot there was more swag this year than last year it wasn't like mind-blowing swag but there was more of it at various panels. I have I have a shirt for Strike Back too, so we'll see. We'll see how we're gonna dole this out, but stay tuned to the podcast for more. Uh the, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention before I forget is uh I talked about of course there's always great co- there's always great uh costumes, cosplay. We talked about the cosplay a bit. But uh I, I think my favorite picture there are two favorite pictures from Comic Con and one of them is the picture that's going around of Robin proposing to Poison Ivy. And both both people are in fantastic cosplay, and they're also surrounded by a group of poison ivies and a group of robins, which I don't know what was happening to cause that to happen, but it was awesome. And then also, I I did uh, I found I met a uh, a Heisenberg, not a Walter White, a Heisenberg, and and so I got a picture with him, and we had a little uh, we had a little deal there, and I ended up with some. Brock candy. That's what it was. And it was delicious. So, yeah, there was, there was a lot of fun stuff like that. There there was um, Leisure Suit uh, <laughs> Leisure Suit Vader and also Boba Fett were walking around together, which was kind of amazing. And there was Tony Rob Stark. So you know, there's all sorts of fun, you know, mashups. And it, it was there. It was a great year for costumes. I will have my, by the way, I will have my recaps for the various days up eventually. Last year, I was able to stay really on top of it because I was in line every morning. So I could write it up while I was in line. This year, that didn't happen. And so because that didn't happen, I still have to finish my pilot reviews from Wednesday and write up Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. 
So I will do that, and it will be up at soundonsite.org. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not quite yet, but hopefully by the time you're hearing this, there's at least some of those posts up. All right. Sounds good. So what is it going to take, Simon, for, for, for you to try Comic-Con? Because I was sitting there in the Indigo Ballroom going, Simon would be eating this up with a fork. I mean, the Venture Brothers guys came in Venture Brothers jumpsuits, black jumpsuits with the red, orange, and yellow stripes. Uh, I think you would need um, my airfare paid for, and I think you would actually need virtually everything paid for, uh-huh. plus uh, twice as much of just things that only I care about. And uh, none of the things that other people care about because I don't care about them. So, uh, man, we need to find basically the Adult Swim convention in Toronto. You know, well, there's a Toronto. There's a there's a pretty solid convention in Toronto. Is there? Yeah, just saying. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I would just prefer like a TV con with just like other shows that aren't necessarily as as geek oriented, but would still. I I, fe- I do feel like that's broadening. Like. Breaking Bad doesn't necessarily feel, no, you know, Comic-Con-y, but it still gets clearly a, a very substantial presence. I did take the opportunity when I, I, I had a chance to talk with somebody who works at FX. I did take the opportunity to say, so when are we going to get Justified here? Because if we can have How I Met Your Mother and we can have Breaking Bad, I think we can have Justified. We can totally get Justified, yeah. You know, it's, it's a Western, you know, why not? And what do they have to say? Uh, they're like, oh, I'm actually not on justified but you know i think it would be great i'm like yeah it would be great and we proceeded to talk about how much we love justified so can you imagine how much people would freak out over timo oh my god totally totally all of them but anyways we should wrap up this this i I could continue forever but i think maybe i've i've uh, gone on a bit too long here i know your interest in comic-con i'm sure you're ready for it now has it reached sharknado levels of can we stop talking about it yet by the way, there was somebody who came as Sharknado. Nothing will reach Sharknado or Royal Baby levels of I do, don't care about this and don't want to hear about it. Uh, can I? Although, can I just say quickly, since we didn't talk about Sharknado at all, do people realize that the Asylum makes like seven movies like this every year? Why is this the one that's got everyone's attention? I don't know. We did have a special video uh, call-in of a sort from the 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 director of Sharknado at Starship Smackdown who is nominating the shark uh, ship from, I think it was from Buck Rogers or something, uh, as one of the ships. So, yes, it was, Sharknado is still very much in the public consciousness. I'm not sure why, but I'm not, I'm not going to fight it. I'm, I'm smarter than that. I know Sharknado will win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up for this uh, this episode at soundonsite.org, as well as, of course, in iTunes, our M4A chaptered feed and our MP3 unchaptered feed. If, if you'd like to reach us by email, you can do that with the televerse at gmail.com. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the televerse. You are at Sucker Howl. I will be updating the, the, uh, the Facebook page. I was very active there for a while, and then Comic Con happened, and I've posted nothing for the past two weeks. I will have the Make Kate Watch Up poll back up. Suits will be on that poll, so I'm sure it's going <laughs> to win next week. Um, but yes, yeah, so that will be starting up next week. I apologize for the Facebook delay. Um, and uh, so you can you can like us there to follow everything that's going on at Sound On Site TV. And uh, Simon, what should our question of the week be? Well, I guess since we're on the theme, what panel would people most like to have been present for? 
uh, and were not able to be. I, I should quickly mention also uh, something that I didn't get to mention before, which is that I was able to live stream the Orphan Black Actors panel, which was pretty great. That was at uh, Nerd HQ. That was a panel that was for charity. There were about 250 seats, and they did a bunch of different panels, and tickets were about $22 with the proceeds going to charity, which is something that, that, Zach, that Zachary Levi's company uh, has been doing for the past couple of years, and it, I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I think you can stream a bunch of those, actually. Yes, you can, and you'll get to see part of Jordan Gavary's two-part, apparently, Taylor Swift singing ex- extravaganza. Yeah, there was there was some vocal stylings of Jordan Gavars, and it was it was pretty great. It was, it was a lot of fun. That was that was a that was definitely one of the highlights. And and live tweeting with all you guys was apparently that's what the thing to do if you would like more Twitter followers is to to live tweet. And I'm sure I I lost all of those orphan black fans when I started live tweeting the Starship Smackdown. But I care about that stuff, so I figured I'm sure yeah. there's some crossover there. There might be. I'm the crossover, I think. (laughs) Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back uh, next week with another episode of the Televerse, a more standard episode of the Televerse, no more Comic-Con talk probably for the next, you know, year. But uh, as ever, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Episode 100. Ah! Ah!